Hello, everyone. This is Jacqueline Jacks for AVA Live Radio. I am speaking on Behind the Music episode for today with Pat from the UK, from Zilly Moon. He's got a new song out called Smile, and I cannot wait to talk to him because he's got so many interesting things to tell me. I have no doubt. Hi, Pat. How are you? I'm very well, Jacqueline. Thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. The first thing that stood out to me is that you like Pink Floyd. I'm a big Pink Floyd fan, uh, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I suppose Pink Floyd was a big influence and, and got a strong influence early on. Uh, I feel I've maybe sort of outgrown them a bit. There's a lot of angst in their music, which was very appealing as a teenager, but... Uh, as a middle-aged man, um, not so much now. But uh, yeah, musically, definitely some influences there. Yeah, I was quite keen as a teenager. Isn't that amazing how music resonates with an audience? You know, I'm I'm so fascinated by that because something that you might listen to as an adolescent all of a sudden doesn't really resonate with you as you get older, and and then other things stay classically correct, right? Like there's certain things that I feel I will yes. always resonate with. Yes, I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, yes. Mm. How do you figure that your music sits with your audience? Is it, is it very specifically targeted? Do you find that there's specific fans for it that are kind of like a little micro niche? Or is it does it tend to be something that you think will be more in the classic category? I understand. My impression so far, judging by sales and, and, and the, the, the um, people who've got in touch and people who've reviewed it, they generally seem to be um, people, I suppose, of a similar generation to me. Um, so people in their sort of 40s and 50s with perhaps similar tastes and I suppose some of the subject matter that, that I tend to write about maybe resonates with that sort of middle-aged man rather than the kind of 20-something so, yeah, that's, that's my impression so far. Yeah, 40s and 50s. <laughs> it's pretty cool, right? So do you find Facebook then to be kind of like the place where you connect most on social media? Uh, it feels as if it is. Um, yeah. My impression is that, um, that, that Facebook um, yeah, tends to be more my age group rather than uh, Instagram and places like that, if you're talking about sort of online presence. Yeah, yeah. I think yes, there's I'm a lot Facebook to be said yeah. for it, you know, like I remember in the beginning when Instagram first started, it was really a very teenage demographic. And then it mm. just started getting like wider and wider, you know, like the moms got on there and then the dads got on there and then the grandparents started getting on there, you know, and it kind of like <laughs> became just huge, just enormous. And now it seems like I meet, although it is a younger demographic than I meet on Facebook, but... I still see so many fans of all ages on Instagram now. It seems that way. I suppose I'm just just to start with. I'm not a very online-y sort of person, really. Um, so I I use it as much as I have to, but um, I, I try and steer clear of it as much as possible. But uh, I suppose in that respect, just putting messages out and things. Facebook is easy and nice, and I can do it whilst I'm at my desk. If we're not, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't. I, the, the Instagram seems a bit more sort of instant and mobile than than the way I tend to use the internet. Yeah, yeah, it's become, it's really become my favorite one, I guess, because it's so reactive. You know, I've I've had fan bases pretty much on everyone, and I used to use Twitter 
primarily. And then now I still have to check back in with Twitter because there's still a lot of people that won't go on Facebook or Instagram, you know, so you have to still cater there. But then I went to Facebook and Facebook, we have like 48 pages at this point. It's like so crazy. But I love Instagram, like Instagram still, I feel like I can connect with people much faster. And on Facebook... The notification system, like they just don't get the notifications at all. Like I'll send a it's message, true. right? And you get nothing. It's a, yeah, it's it's a different style of thing. I suppose I, I try to not rely on it too heavily. I, I'm not I'm not a mad keen of the online world, really. Although having said that, it's a wonderful way for well, yeah, you get your music. connecting with people like yourself, yeah, for example, right? Know, yeah. Which wouldn't happen. So the online world's been very good for. Um, artists like me, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, well, I have to say, aside from collaborations and and special meetings that, you know, we have to talk on the phone in order to get to the next level or we have to Mm -hmm. Skype, um, most of everything is all set up through Instagram. It's crazy. The messenger system, like all of my brand collabs, they all start and end on the Instagram message system. And that is incredible how that has come about, you know. It's it's like we have to make an effort to go to email <laughs> and like get no, no, something no, done. You yeah, know? It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's almost as uh, awkward as finding an envelope and putting a stamp on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, those days, right? It's like not even existent no, no. anymore. We don't want to wait that long. Sure. It's so true. And very, very true how uh, things have changed. What do you think that the, the big struggle is for you as a songwriter and, and or are, is there at all? Are you right in the place where you want to be or is there a growth that you feel like you miss out on as a result of, of not wanting to embrace certain tools? Ooh, um, well, ooh, that's a difficult one. I suppose for me, the only thing that I'm missing is that um, we're not really gigging at the moment. We're working hard in the studio uh, I'm working. I just started work this really mostly this year on material for a next album. Um, I don't know when we'll next play. Um, for the moment, the, the online world is a, is a good way of just keeping in touch with people and letting know people letting people know what we do or what we're doing. Um, and and it's been a wonderful way to to um, to promote the album and get people talking about it. And we've had some really really lovely, genuinely enthusiastic reviews from literally all around the world, actually. Um, people who've got in touch, which only exists because of the online world. So uh, it's hard to say because the, the things that I might be missing out on, I'm possibly not actually aware of it. Um, so I'm not sure, really. I suppose I'm contenting myself with the level of um, interest we've had and the kind of reviews we're getting um, and, and, and obviously... You know, sales, and when I say sales, I suppose I'm using sales as a as a measure of of people's appreciation of what we do. Yeah, so, um, it is. Isn't it it still really is, isn't it? Amazing how it's it's really hard not to tie your your value to a dollar amount, and mm, you know, yeah. like in a streaming world today. God, I was having this discussion like yesterday, and then it popped up again today in another meeting, and we were talking about yeah. how like. You used to use a push campaign in order to push music to people, but now it's a pull campaign, right? Like, and it's the difference between, like, for instance, Taylor Swift, she still uses a push campaign, but like Billie Eilish, she uses a pull campaign. So 
they're two different, entirely different things. And, and as we see music evolving now, the value isn't necessarily in the immediate album sales. It's in the streaming. So like, if you're not streaming, mm-hmm. yeah. right, then you're not translating into sales. And then still, so a, an indie artist that doesn't have a fan base yet, it's it's really easy to judge your merit or your value based on lack of streams. And I always think that that's a, a careful line to cross, you know, like you don't want to get there. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I suppose what I've noticed is that I'm always very pleased if somebody has either bought a you know a physical album which is lovely or downloaded the whole album which is which is equally lovely but of course um one album with 10 songs on it you know one person can buy that and i've 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 reached one person but if um 10 people have downloaded just an individual song um that's 10 people even if it's only one song so um in terms of reaching out and getting people to to hear us um that in some ways that means more um, to me as I suppose I've come to realize yeah it's yeah, incredible it's, it's right a funny world. It's I know it's a funny mm, thing yeah. it really is I, I released a music video the other day on um, an Instagram page and I released one on a Facebook page and on the Facebook page initially without any further advertising it got maybe like a couple of hundred streams but then on Instagram it got a thousand streams right away and we looked at those views and we were like, you know, if you took a thousand people and you put them in a room and then played your song for them, that would be very powerful. And you would fill like more than a nightclub, right? Because an average stage yeah. and, and an average show is maybe 250 people. <laughs> and here yeah, through yeah. A, one social media app, even though you don't get to see their faces necessarily, unless you click on the thing to see who viewed it and then you go and ask yeah. them. You really did connect so quickly with so many people, but we just take it for granted what that actually means, what that figure means, you know? It's true. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, the online, the online world is, um, it's quite crazy. It's quite, um, it's good and bad, but the good parts of it, I think, are lovely. Yeah, Yeah. they can be. They can be for songwriters for sure. And I'm sure once people hear this episode, they're going to be leaving comments, and that's going to be the really fun part is reading their comments on how maybe our discussion resonated with them, you know, and, and what their thoughts were on this. So guys, if you're listening to this, don't forget to leave a comment so that we can hear, um, you know, your ideas about what we're talking about. Let's talk about the studio though, because, you know, defining your own sound in the studio is no easy task, right? You've got a song you've worked on or several and you like them. You feel like they're ready to get recorded, to be produced in the studio. And you get into the studio. How do you know what you're doing is correct for your own sound? How do you define yourself in the studio? That's really hard. Uh, I guess sometimes a song starts out and I may already have a, a fairly clear idea of the kind of sound, the kind of arrangement that I that I wanted to have. And, um, and that... So far, at least, uh, that's usually that's kind of stayed true throughout. Um, but sometimes uh, a song will will start off at home. I'm I'm writing on my own, pretty much. Uh, well, yeah, almost always writing on my own. Um, and uh, and it's when you get together with the with with the rest of the band and you present the ideas to them. And sometimes 
not usually that the sound or arrangements change, but sometimes smaller details in a song can change. You know, sort of pauses or extra middle eights or or the song's too long or too short or um, so. But generally, <clears throat> generally the song has developed and evolved a little bit before um, before you get to record. Um, I have recorded before that process has taken place, and sometimes it works, but sometimes. In hindsight, after the song of the Lord and I, if it's bypassed that band stage, sometimes I've regretted it, and um, and I can hear it. Maybe other people don't notice it, but I can hear that it's sort of underdeveloped, uh, and I'm not entirely happy with it. So usually there's a, a fair bit of um, evolution uh, and uh, tweaking goes on um, well before recording. So by the time it's recorded, it's usually been played a few times, um, often been played live a few times. Uh, and bounced around the studio or you know rehearsal rooms um, well before recording. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of tweaking. It people don't realize it. We make it look seamless, right? We release the end result, and that's it. You don't get yes. to see all of the the stuff that happens in the process. I'm actually a big <laughs> fan of of advertising the process. I think that that anticipation of what it's going to sound like when it's done is the best form of advertising you can possibly release on social media, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that's probably a conversation we should have because um, that's, that's not something I'm totally in tune with in terms of the advertising. Um, I, I might be, uh, I'm sure I'm quite uh, naive in that area. I'm totally on board for that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I was just, uh, tonight, one of my, I have this uh, mega fan base building group, right? And and, uh, we try to start a handful of artists once a week on teaching them how to talk to their audience, how to find their super fans, how to nurture them. And, And certainly like a big part of it is exactly that. It's like, what kind of content do you create to make this all just so much easier? And and I really find that like that in the moment kind of content is the best thing that you can come up with. You just have to kind mm-hmm. of get into the habit of it because a lot of times, you know, when we're creating, we don't really want to pick up our phones and think about that. You know what I mean? But like mm-hmm. s- something powerful will happen. And instead of like, Instead of letting it pass, I kind of try to encourage people to get in the habit of thinking of it like your timeline is now your photo album, but your photo album has become very visual and it's audible. So like, how can you mark this moment in time through like a one minute video clip or a picture with a description, you know, or maybe just even a little audio feed and that way you go back and you now have frozen that moment in time and you get to relive it a little bit, you know, even if it's just laughing in the studio and, and talking about something funny. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really like the best way to advertise music because that's what people can most relate to. They want to laugh with you, you know, and they want to go through the struggles. They want to say, oh, wow, that sounded really good. I can't wait to hear the finished product, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't. Um, yeah, we haven't really put anything out like that. Years ago, I recorded a live album with a band, and that that included a few little bits and pieces. That well, I mean, it was a finished album, but it did also include some sort of imperfect uh, imperfections, which were quite nice and quite quite charming, I suppose, in their own way. Yeah, no, that's good. That's that's so interesting. How do you feel about album releases versus singles? 
for me personally, I'm much more into albums, but then that maybe I'm a bit biased because I, I am still a little bit in love with the old days when you would have an album where there was perhaps a bit of a narrative throughout the whole album. So uh, I don't really like constantly sort of citing Pink Floyd, but their albums did tend to have a bit of a narrative throughout, mm-hmm. um, which I which I really liked. Um, but there, having said that, there are other albums that really have no no um, narrative, but um, I, I like a, a kind of a full, a complete body of work rather than an individual song. But having said that, I think um, I think there'll definitely be a, probably two or three songs released as as individual songs um, before the album, the next Zilli Moon album comes out. So. Um, Personally, I like an album, but individual songs, yeah, that's good too. That's good too. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of the album as well. I think that ultimately, even if you release the singles, you know, I mean, the school of thought right now is to keep an audience active by releasing a single every month, right? And then the whole album launches. So like as soon as you can, you're going to get the album out, but maybe you put out three singles off the album or you put out four singles off the album, then you go ahead and dump the rest. And then you start to evolve each one again through video, through, through all that stuff. And so then you have, of course, a year full of content easily. And in the school of thought, it seems like what's shaping out in history is that instead of a single hitting number one, with the exception of Taylor Swift, because <laughs> her Swifties uh-huh. are like a, they're like a posse. <laughs> They'll pretty uh-huh. much, they're going to do anything they can to like, you know, it's become a thing. So with the exception of that, everyone else, like um, uh, a lot of the up and coming singers that you're seeing hitting number ones right now, they're, they've been marketing those singles for, in some cases, like 30 months before the single hits number one. And they never once have been invited to do like a late night TV show or cable or, you know, any of the regular routes that they used to be doing when they dropped an album and then they did PR. So it's now become very much like, like the indie artist of today where you're releasing singles and you're really trying to keep marketing them and building them up like a stackable, you know, like you you got one every Uh month coming out and then you drop the album and then you just keep promoting and you rework things like you do remixes and you do video and like different kinds of concepts around it. And it's interesting to me how things have really changed and how that has come about and how it's working, you know, how it's working. It's almost like we we're leaving breadcrumbs out there of which eventually will lead to the album. So the album is still alive. We just don't really see it all the time because we see so many singles coming out. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, I suppose I'm uh, I'm still a bit of an album man, really. Yeah, <laughs> right, because you want to hear the whole thing. But, you know, if you think about it, if you were releasing a single a month and people knew that there was an album coming, then every time they paid attention to the single, they'd be like, wow, I can't wait for the album because they really like this song. So in essence, you're just kind of doing an older business model too of releasing some singles before, right? Cause they used to have the two cut, remember the two cut and then they would release the album. So you're kind of like slicing it up a little bit as a precursor to the album. So it is marketing the same thing. Mm, mm. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. 
<laughs> I can see that. It's funny, right? I know. I'm I'm always really like looking at it and taking it apart and, and understanding how people are reacting to the music as well as the the style of the artists. And you've got such great style in this song. Let's talk about smile and what smile means to you. Um, well, smile started, um, actually it started on the piano, as most of them do, um, with a little chord sequence, which uh, as, as soon as I played the, the, the first three or four chords, I, I immediately, um, for me, I, I could immediately hear the kind of structure of most of the song. I, I could immediately hear a kind of a, uh, a kind of a Floyd. So I don't want to keep going on about Pink Floyd, but it is kind of a bit of a Floyd influenced song, I suppose. Can't help that with Rick Wright with his Hammond organ, and and, and you know I loved all that. Uh, so that very quickly it became what it now is. Um, so that that's where it is musically. Um, lyrically, it's um, yeah, it's kind of a reflective song. Um, um, it's, it's thinking about sort of you know better times ahead. And, and leaving leaving the past behind, um, it's not a not a not a new subject, but um, yeah, just 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 uh, kind of coming to terms with perhaps loss of of a loved one or uh, or any any yeah, most really a loved one, not necessarily a significant other, but um, um, who produced the music for you? Say again. Who produced the music for you? Ah, um, well, it was a joint effort, really. There's a guy called uh, Richard Bignall in a studio in West London uh, who who uh, did the engineering. Um, so most of the time I'm sitting next to him and we're uh, we're sort of producing it together. Um, certainly the, the, the mixing uh, is mostly him um, sort of adjusting things for us. He's actually very good. <clears throat> and we've used him um, quite a lot. Quite a so did you good. play piano uh, and somebody else played lead guitar? Or how did it work? Yeah, keyboards and orchestration is myself. Uh, so keyboards, obviously vocals, and Hammond organ. Um, yeah, we've got uh, on Smile, well, actually a guy called uh, uh, Jeff Bolam, who's a very good bassist and guitarist. Uh, and he played bass and guitar on the, on the studio version of this. And uh, why, why a guy called Manor Ash played drums. So um, that, that's how that came about uh, on that particular song. That was, that was those Excellent. guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're happy with it. It's, I can tell you're happy with it. <laughs> it was my favourite song for a long time. I suppose now that the album's finished, um, there are other songs on there which have, I suppose they're a bit newer and a bit fresher for me. Yeah. But, um, but no, I still like Smile. I'm still pleased with that. It, uh, I like the structure of it, I like the sound of it. Uh, and a good friend of mine, who's also an excellent singer, uh, Esther B. Daly, uh, helped out with some very creamy, smooth um, backing vocals. So that, that, was a nice, that was a nice experience, getting her in the studio. That was lovely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that must have been, right? Do you, get, do you find that as it, when you're working with a vocalist, do you have to kind of sit down and talk to them a little bit about the song? Is there any directive you know, that, that you get to do? Mm, yeah, I guess so. I mean, with this, it, was, um, it wasn't a massive amount of um, backing vocals uh, just on the choruses. Um, it wasn't too difficult on this one. On other songs which um, the world hasn't heard yet, there are backing vocals where it's going to have to be a little bit more prescriptive. Um, 
because I've got some very clear ideas about what I want. But on this mm-hmm. one, um, it was it was mostly sort of harmonies and, and backing harmonies on the choruses. Um, so in this case, it was it was it was uh, it was fairly straightforward. Um, yeah, sometimes uh, a, 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 a singer may have his or her own ideas or interpretation, um, which which doesn't really fit what you want. So uh, yeah, you end up sometimes having having to be a little bit prescriptive. prescriptive sorry. Yeah. Uh, and that's hard right. because um, they they need to enjoy doing it and and feel that they're um, expressing their own creativity possibly. Um, so it's it's a, it's hard to. Um, it's hard, you know, a hard balancing act. Uh, interesting sometimes. process. It's really interesting, you know. I mean, when somebody writes a story, you go over it, fine-tune chrome, <clears throat> over and over and over again, right, to make it better. And sometimes that can take so long, depending on how long the story is. And here we have music, and there's so many layers, so many different things have to come together to make it just, you know, just really resonate with your you first and then the audience and you know to have people be able to take it in but it's it's such an art it's such an incredibly painstaking but like joyous art for someone who's passionate about music i think it's yeah it's a it's a it's a big buzz it's a, there's a lot of, lot of excitement when when something comes together and uh, i suppose this particular song probably out of all of them, probably on this album anyway, is probably the one that has the, the probably the wider appeal. I guess I think, I think that's my impression so far. It's the one with the widest appeal. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, but we're yes, going to go and play it for you right now. I'm very excited. This is "Smile" by Zili Moon. Where would you like them to pick it up on SoundCloud or go to your website? Oh, you can you can hear it on SoundCloud. You can get in contact with Zili Moon <clears throat> directly uh, zilimoon.com. Uh, they can buy the album or download the song on Amazon and iTunes and all the usual all the usual places. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming and talking about it. It's really a pleasure to get this time with you. Thank My you, pleasure. Pat. Thank you. Uh, Jacqueline, thanks for having me on.
I'm gonna make you mine.